Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Welcome back to the Spend Culture Stories podcast. This is Nicole, and today we are joined by Perry Wiggins, the CFO at the American Productivity and Quality Center, or APQC. Welcome, Perry. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Nicole. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed listening to some of your episodes, and uh, it's a blast to join today. Thank you. Yeah, we're really excited to have someone on who's been a follower of the podcast and looking forward to getting to know more about you. Sounds good. So before APQC, uh, you've led many finance teams in the healthcare sector. What brought you into the role that you're in currently? Yeah, so prior to APQC, I had been in healthcare finance for over 10 years, uh, well, much of that time in executive roles at a few healthcare organizations. While my time in healthcare was an experience that helped shape me as a leader, currently, many of your listeners are probably aware as, as they're consumers of the healthcare industry. The industry is going through some volatile changes as providers and physicians and, and payers and patients attempt to figure out the balance between pricing and quality outcomes, reimbursement, and et cetera. So with all those headwinds in the industry right now, it can be quite chaotic right now for not only the people who are facing patients or front-facing with patients like our doctors and nurses and such, but even on the back end side with support services like healthcare finance. And uh, when I came to APQC, I was ready to leave behind some of those headwinds and challenges that I saw coming from the perspective of a healthcare CFO. Yeah, I could definitely understand why you'd be interested in joining something different and um, just given even what I know about uh, the situation over here in Canada, it seems like a good good jump to make. <laughs> Absolutely. So from a former healthcare executive's point of view, what are some of the biggest mistakes that are being made in healthcare when organizations are trying to cultivate a healthy spend culture? Well, in healthcare and from my experience, many organizations that are large in nature there have uh, multiple locations in, in the city or throughout the state or throughout the country, the challenge becomes trying to have a centralized AP and purchasing culture or, or system in place to address the concerns of the organization. Many times that works because you think about healthcare, all the type of uh, purchases and expenditures that a healthcare organization requires and purchases. Most of those purchases are pretty standard, and you can have a centralized purchasing arm to do all that for you. But in many cases, each facility, each location has its own unique needs. And sometimes the rigidity of having a centralized purchasing operations can limit uh, some of the operations uh, of the individual locations and companies throughout the corporate arm. Definitely. Now, being a former CEO in a healthcare organization, I can imagine that trying to balance patient healthcare and satisfaction while still maintaining the financial health of the organization could be challenging. What are some of the challenges that you faced when trying to do this and what are the ways that you address them? Yeah, from my experience in healthcare, there are always times where there's tension between operations and finance, given that in most healthcare settings, the profit margins are just so low. With that being said, and, you know, as a CFO, I never wanted our medical professionals and clinicians to shortchange 
care in the aim of lowering cost and improving the margins, that is only a recipe for disaster. That's a positive in the short run, but the long-term consequences are quite costly. The key for me was always developing good relationships with docs and nurses and other direct care providers and other people in operations so that the lines of communication were always open and that a foundation of trust could be established so that when I as CFO or someone who's currently in that type of position, when you go to the folks in operations and the medical professionals for ways for them to improve, they know that you're coming from an angle for, of what's best for the company. Additionally, it takes a lot of education to the medical professionals and, and individuals in operations to get them to understand how you see things. Many times when you approach a issue, people only see it from their lens and their perspective. But if you can be transparent with them and let them understand how the finances of the organization are impacted by their decisions and their behaviors, I think it helps the conversation going forward to see forth improvement in the bottom line. Yeah, I like what you said about the communication piece. Uh, I actually come from a healthcare background as well. And knowing that it kind of is two different worlds, but at the same time, you're really trying to achieve the same things. And I think understanding both sides and having that communication piece is really what can help you move forward in a positive light. Absolutely. So kind of jumping more into your role now at APQC, could you describe to us what the spend culture is at your organization? So based on the spend culture survey results that I took, <laughs> being a, a fan of the podcast and a fan of the organization, APQC is characterized as a unrestricted organization, which means our directors have great autonomy in their areas and great accountability for their budgets. With the exception of unique and high dollar expenditures, our leaders and their respective managers are given great freedom to incur costs for their respective areas. Now, of course, with those freedoms uh, come some responsibilities. So each leader is fully mm -hmm. aware uh, that I and the CEO are watching their performance during the month and once end of month financials are published. Those leaders also, they are fully aware they must give a full accounting of their decisions and their results at our monthly leadership meetings. And they are fully aware as well that they can be vetoed, even though we give them the autonomy and the freedom at the end of the day, as CFO and CEO, there are times we have to step in and say no. But for us and the size of our small nonprofit organization, and we do about $20 million in revenues and have 70 plus employees, uh, the unrestricted culture works best for us. And I think for the listeners, the biggest thing I can point out to them is that you have to do what works best for you. What we have here at APQC, given the size of our small nonprofit would not work at a larger organization that's running in the you know, hundreds of millions or in the billions. But for us, we found something that works for our team and works for our culture. I think that's a great point to make is that just like an organizational culture, spend culture is unique to each organization and what might work for one won't work for another. But it sounds like you've done a good job of empowering employees to make informed spend choices, but still knowing that they do have some responsibility uh, to the organization and to be smart with the way that they spend. That's correct. Now, what does the process for managing and tracking spend look like at APQC? Sure. So for us at APQC, our tracking is mostly done at month end. When leadership does our uh, monthly review and we're looking at our monthly actuals to budget, and we're preparing our consolidated and departmental forecast for the next three months. 
additionally, throughout the month, I'm taking a look, working with my AP manager to see where we're standing with our spend for the month, as well as for the spend outside of our AP system uh, that goes through our concur system for our corporate credit cards. We're looking through our mid-month reports and tracking uh, which one of our employees and employee groups and departments are racking up costs related to travel because we do have quite a few individuals in our uh, company, even though we're small, we do have quite a few that are consultants and are incurring quite a bit of travel costs and conferencing costs and and workshop Mm -hmm. costs as well. And so without Mm -hmm. keeping an eye on that, that can get out of control. So from time to time, our mid-month meetings are used to make sure that we're staying on track with what's in the budget and forecast. Sounds like something that we've heard before. And yeah, that there's obviously costs that kind of vary dependent on different team members and things like that. Now, kind of just touching on the healthcare industry again, I know that historically speaking, healthcare has been slower to adapt new IT and tech solutions. As someone who's worked in that industry, why do you think this is the case? Simply put, the demand on cash reserves, uh, you have to remember that in the healthcare industry, there are significant outlays of cash related to CapEx and capital expenditures. Healthcare facilities are constantly replacing and upgrading medical devices and equipment. Add on top of that, uh, you're doing routine uh, renovations to patient rooms and lobbies and so forth. And you can see how easy it becomes to keep your existing software program for patient records and purchasing and patient accounting needs as it's just a cheaper option mm-hmm. versus undergoing a new implementation of a software system. Additionally, mm-hmm. if you know anyone in healthcare who has survived a major software implementation, they speak of their experience as if they have some form of PTSD. Yeah. You know, you can start a group therapy meeting of all the healthcare professionals that have been scarred by their software implementation projects gone wrong. And I think because mm-hmm. of that dynamic, healthcare organizations tend to be slow to implement their software systems because of one, the cash demand, and then two, all the horror stories of when it's gone wrong. It's funny that you mentioned that because it's something that I've heard many times. I have many family members who work in healthcare and actually have been involved in projects where they're trying to build out new IT systems. And I've seen years and millions of dollars go into something and it just doesn't work out. So uh, it's a great perspective to have, especially coming from the tech sector, where it's pretty easy to get people on board with things. And it's a smaller group that's impacted by these changes. Absolutely. You know, once you have a a colleague or a peer in the industry that says, oh, we went with system ABC and it cost us two million more than the original project cost on system XYZ six months longer than we initially anticipated, you just get a little gun shy to pull the trigger and, and implement a new system in your own company because you know the risks that are involved implementing such a major project. Yeah, it completely makes sense. And um, it's it's great to have that perspective again, coming from an industry where we're constantly adapting new things versus a place like healthcare where, yeah, it's a little bit more detrimental to business and a little more challenging to just pick things up like Absolutely. that. So are there any manual processes in finance that you think need to be addressed? Or are there things that are really taking up a lot of your time that you wish could be streamlined better? Of course. (laughs) You know, here at APQC, we are actually going through a process, speaking of software implementations, uh, we're actually living it right now. We uh, just begun to implement a new ERP system. For us, it would be NetSuite here. And we believe Mm -hmm. that this will 
make our lives much easier and help us with running financial reports and the recording of certain rote entries much simpler. As you can imagine, being a small not-for-profit, we have quite a few processes and calculations and journal entries that are outside the system that are in spreadsheets. And not only is it mm-hmm. something that occurs at a small nonprofit, I've been at mid-sized healthcare industry uh, companies where uh, you're doing a, quite a few calculations and journal entries and roll forwards and, and, and ledgers outside the system. And so we hope with this implementation that our life will be much simpler. We will do the vast majority of our work within the system, which will make the risk of any errors outside the system go down drastically. And we believe that our lives will not only become uh, less focused on uh, some rote items, but we can then focus on some of the more value-added things that the company really wants the finance and accounting team to do here. I like what you said about making your lives easier, because I think at the end of the day, that's why all this technology is showing up in so many different areas of business. And there's pretty much a piece of technology to help us with almost every function of our day-to-day lives. And oftentimes you find these systems that actually make it more challenging. So finding a piece of software that actually does what it needs to do and reduces work for you so that you can allocate your time to other things is, I think, very key. You know, one of the things that we've talked about internally here and APQC, just so your listeners know, we're a knowledge management company here in Houston, Texas, and we specialize in helping companies become better and faster and work with more confidence. And we have, uh, we're member supported. And one of the biggest service offerings that we have to our members is our database of, of metrics that we have in our open standards benchmarking area, as well as the research that we do uh, with our research services team. And one of the things that I've uh, seen working with the team here is that rote activities uh, for all of us is a possibility that one day, or you at least have to consider it, I ask the question, can a robot do this one day? And so if I'm doing a activity or a process or a task uh, that could be handled through robotic accounting or robotic processing in other areas, what is the value of my job? I need to start looking at ways that I can put things into a system, automate it, make my life easier so I then can focus on the more complex, higher uh, value-added items that will help the, the company grow and be more productive. I think that's a really great point to make uh, as more functions become automated. It's only a matter of time before each of us are impacted one way or another by, like you said, robots or uh, AI or different systems that can essentially do things for us. So what can we do that? these systems can and what can we offload onto these systems so we can make more use of our time. So as a CFO, how is your performance evaluated and are there any major KPIs that you base your performance on? Of course, I'm going to be a little bit biased here, but my response is it's hard to evaluate a CFO. The fallback at so many organizations Mm -hmm. to evaluate performance and to base incentive comp is to base a significant portion on it on the financial performance of the company, which of course is problematic. You're going to ask a person yeah. <laughs> who's over the finances and the financial reporting of the company to be evaluated or or have a portion of their bonus be based on if the company does well. Well, you know, there's a incentive there to make sure, so to speak, that the company does well if I have that control. And so what I'm really proud of is that uh, my CEO and and I have been trying to think of out of the box ways uh, to measure and define what is a successful CFO. I can 
only impact the bottom line so much here at APQC. Now in healthcare, CFO uh, has a little bit more ability to impact and put his uh, fingers on the performance of the organization through the revenue cycle functions of a healthcare uh, facility. But here it's a little bit less so. And so we're trying to find some non-standard targets and a number of ways that uh, I could be evaluated. Like for us, we'll be uh, trying to think of number of proposed audit adjustments proposed by the auditors, you know, which will show that how clean the books are, uh, financial literacy for the company. How many financial workshops am I conducting for our employees? In addition to some of the, you know, financial metrics that are, of course, uh, key for us, like our days cash on hand and other metrics as well related to our financial health. I like that. It's looking at things beyond just the bottom line or the hard numbers. And I think that's important, especially in leadership position to look at, you know, the bigger impact. So it's always interesting. And it's always interesting talking about your own kind of performance and how that's measured too. And, and I can understand why, why it'd be easy to be biased. <laughs> so uh, in your experience and um, in your history of your career, what tools have you used to measure, track, and report spending, and what have you liked or disliked about them? Yes. Yeah, so outside of the purchasing and AP process, uh, the largest number of expenses uh, being generated from many of the organizations at which I've worked uh, were coming through corporate credit cards. Fortunately, our credit card purchases are tracked through Concur. Uh, we, ha- we use an MX card here, and the Concur system allows us to see real-time information throughout the month as to how and where our employees are incurring expenses. Right now, it has worked quite well for us. Um, even while I was at a larger organization and had a Concur system, it was a pretty useful tool, even in a larger environment. So we're pretty pleased with it, of course, for the expenses and the purchases that are going through our typical uh, purchasing AP process, we can uh, go through our uh, AP ledger and our GL to see what spend is like and how we're tracking there throughout the month. That's really interesting to hear about the company credit cards, because this is something that has come up for us quite a bit. And even within our own organization, I mean, we're just over 100 people, so it's pretty easy for us to track and you're sitting at mm-hmm. about the same number. But um, it's nice to know that even in bigger organizations, you found something that's helped you track that because it is a little, it's a scary feeling knowing that you've got people out there with cards that they can spend money from your company on. But I think it comes down to trust and, and like you said, having a system where you can actually real time track how that yeah, money is being spent. You know, there's always going to be risks in an organization when you give people access to credit cards. But for the sake of the company and going back to earlier comment, every leadership of any company has to do what's best for them. And every company is unique. For many companies, letting employees have access to credit cards and the right number of people and the right people having credit card access, as long as those individuals know that accountability comes with that, that's going to be key. When an organization stops holding people accountable, that's when it becomes very problematic and destructive for the company. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I think that accountability at the end of the day should be a key word around all types of finance. So it's reassuring to hear that you can successfully have people using these company credit cards. 
Now, how does someone like yourself continue your learning? Are there any blogs or books that you would recommend? Is it within your network that you really find yourself being inspired? What do you like to um, yeah, do? Well, I listen to the Spin Culture Podcast, one. <laughs> In all seriousness, <laughs> like I, I have enjoyed listening to the podcast episodes and two in particular, listening to the UCLA Law CFO and another uh, CEO, Lindsay Head. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a those are two episodes that stand out and, and you know, that helps me to mm-hmm. kind of hear what other folks are doing and, and kind of get a picture into the lives of other executives in different industries. And, you know, I believe in the statement of learn something new every day. There's so much in this world, your industry, your employer, et cetera, that can be discovered. You know, while I'm not a huge book reader, I do read several business articles each day as part of my advisory role to the board as a CFO being a CFO requires me to understand both macro and microeconomic issues that might impact the organization and having a good grasp of those issues and those dynamics in the world and in our region or in our country allow me to go before the board in my advisory role and say, you know, I believe going decision XYZ is good for us because of ABC. If I go to my investment committee and I'm there for the board of directors or the, the members that are on the investment committee, I can say to them, here's what I believe we should do with our large portfolio balance because of my discussions with our portfolio managers, what I'm seeing, uh, reading the business articles and business journals, seeing economic data. So being fully aware of what's going on in the world helps me to be a better CFO for the board of directors. As a CPA, uh, of course, I'm required to obtain continuing education credits each year to help maintain my knowledge of accounting rules and changes. And I said I wasn't a big book reader, but there's one mm-hmm. book that I try to reread from time to time, and that is called Good to Great by Jim Collins, which is pretty um, popular. Most people probably know that book. And the reason why I love it so much is mm-hmm. that it, not only is it a great business book, which it's known for, but it's just as much a great self improvement guide as well. And the big takeaway that I always find in that book is that great organizations and as it pertains to people, great people deal with the realities. And no matter who you are, small company, mid-sized, large, whether you're a staff accountant or a CFO, you always have to deal in realities. And if you want to go from where you are and, and proceed and move to the next level, you have to have an honest assessment where you are at that, that point so you can take the next steps. Also, my biggest recommendation in terms of learning for anyone listening, especially those looking to climb up to the C-suite, is to get a mentor. And more importantly, not only to get someone who's older than you and more experienced, but a mentor to me is someone who's willing to tell you about how he or she screwed up. You know, a lot of us can find people who are older than us and more experienced than us and make more money than us. And, you know, they'll tell you about their wins and their victories and their achievements. But you don't really have a mentor until that person can let you know, hey, this is how I screwed up, messed up. And here's how I lost the big contract. Here's how I hired the wrong employee. This is the time I made the big accounting error and had a big accounting adjustment, how I owned it how I resolved it and moved forward in, the, in my career. That, to me, is a true mentor. And I think back to, you know, personally, when my daughter was just learning to drive, my oldest daughter, Riley, I was being a, a dad, telling her all the things mm-hmm. not to do and pointing out all the crazy drivers on our Houston streets and, and that person's doing something crazy and that person's doing that <laughs> crazy. And 
telling her why I'm such a great driver now. And But I wasn't a parent until I fessed up about my big wreck when I was 18 years old and told her how to avoid that type of accident. And so when you have someone in your life who, who's you know, gone through it as a professional, a CFO or CEO or uh, someone more experienced than you who is actually honest enough to share with you their misses and their failures, you then really have a mentor who you can learn from so you can avoid those same uh, pitfalls and, and uh, traps that they fell into. I really like that you've brought that up. Someone who's actually honest and will admit Obviously, there are successes, but there are mistakes. I think in life, the biggest learning comes from mistakes, whether it's been personally or you've seen someone else do it. And it's hard to find people nowadays that are really willing to be raw and honest about, you know, the times that didn't go so great. You know, I wouldn't be in my position without, you know, great mentors like um, Jim Adams and Paul Generali. These were CFOs at other organizations. They might have been corporate CFOs when I was a regional CFO and guys like that who were not only telling me about how they got there and what steps they took and decisions they made, their achievements, but also could say, hey, because I care about you, here's some things you got to be careful about. Don't make this mistake. Here's where I messed up. So keep this in mind as <laughs> you are progressing. Because when people truly care about you, the same way with my uh, relationship with my daughter when I was teaching her how to drive, because of my love for her and my care for her, I want her to know, here's where I, dad messed up. And be on the lookout for these type of pitfalls. And that's what a mentor would do for you. And that's why I encourage everyone who's listening. In addition to all the technical continuous learning they can do on the personal side, uh, find that person who, who's willing to be that type of mentor for you. I think that's a great piece of advice to take away. And my last question for you, where do you think the state of spend culture will be? Or how do you think it's going to transform? Everyone will agree that wherever change comes our way, it will be with more technology. And it's possible that that technology may be robotic and, and mm -hmm. have more components of AI involved. And with that being said, as I alluded to earlier, we all have to start thinking about what part of our jobs are routine and outdated and trivial and that and ask the question, could AI do this part of my job? Could robotic accounting, could robotic processing do a component of my job? And if so, I need to now think about what ways I can offload that work and then do higher and more complex work for the organization that's more value added to the organization that I work for. Absolutely. And I think that's a great piece of thought for our audience to take away too. Really, regardless of what kind of role you're in, be conscious of the way that the world is moving and aware of your role and Absolutely. different opportunities that, that you that. can take from that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We were so excited to have you join. And it's always great hearing that uh, people are enjoying our podcast and now having you as a contributor. I'm sure our audience is really looking forward to hearing about the things that you say. This has been a blast. I am a fan of the podcast and will continue to listen. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Spend Culture Stories podcast, sponsored by Procurify. If you'd like to learn more about your spend culture, Take our quiz at spendculture.com.